If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's going on, Wild Black family? This is Vince. Listen, before today's episode, I wanted to hit you with a quick note. Today's episode is extremely important to mental health and mental illness. And today is much more story-based and narrative than are most of our episodes. But with that, it's also more detailed. And I want to call out that some of the topics could be upsetting to some or even traumatic to others. It's a two-part episode. And in today, part one, you hear discussions about not only mental illness, but rape, molestation, drug use, and suicide. So while this episode is absolutely amazing and full of lessons that you can learn from instead of live through, Both parts can be triggering. For our Patreon audience, I want to call out that after we release both episodes, we're going to do a Wild Black Behind the Podcast with a professional having a conversation about the steps and the skills to handling these types of stresses. Make sure you join the community by hitting us up at patreon.com slash wildblack. Now to the episode, but again, please listen with care and with caution. Peace. What's good, Wild Black? This is Vince, coming to you before an episode so you know it's something important, probably more so than most of my messages, because this is about how we build together. I've already told you that we launched on Patreon, patreon.com slash wildblack, and I've already talked to you about the benefits. It's things like a members-only monthly Q&A, Wild Black behind the podcast, monthly bonus episodes, extended interviews, how-tos, things that really enrich you. But in addition, we've got our Discord community and exclusive voting power. But what I'm most excited about is the conversation between you and I. I often wonder to myself, why does anyone listen to Wild Black? What is it that they get out of listening? And Patreon gives us the opportunity to be secure in what that answer is. I'm no longer going to have to guess and assume what interviews the culture needs. I want to talk directly to the culture. I want to talk directly to you. Let's figure out what we can do together. What episodes do you want to hear? What guests do you want to hear from? Hell, which one of you needs to be a guest because you've got something to say and something to teach? Do us all a favor. Hit up patreon.com slash wildblack. I'll see you there. Peace. So one day... I got frustrated and I was like, okay, I'm going to take every pill that I see in the medicine cabinet. Now, my Mm. stepfather at the time, he was dealing with congestive heart failure, some other health issues and things like that. So he took a lot of medication and I took everything that was in there. (laughs) 
what was happening in your head that said, take these pills? And were you trying to commit suicide? Were you cognizant that that is what this could lead to? So to answer your last question, no. I don't think that I knew that it was suicide. I think it was my biggest cry for help. 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 Welcome to Wow Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all-black everything. Everybody, welcome back to Wild Black. Welcome back, welcome back. I'm taking a pause because I, I truly don't know what to say in these moments. And I, and I found it's better for me just to be honest. The conversation we're going to have today, one, is, is different for Wild Black. Most of the time we're... We're sitting down and we're talking tactics and strategies to help us go, grow, and succeed. But today is different. And not that you won't take things from this episode that make you better, but today is really just about a story. I want to talk to you through our guest about the life she has managed through, the life that in some cases she has survived. And it's important because, you know, we talk about mental illness and managing mental illness and mental health here relatively often. And we do it because in our community, it's rampant and it's often ignored, right? And those two, that combination can be devastating because it it keeps us from getting the help that we need to become who it is that we're supposed to be, which is why our guest today is so special because she's been managing through that and she has fought and she is in the process of overcoming. And I say in the process because I truly don't think any of us really ever completely overcome because there's always something tomorrow for us to refocus on and build past. I won't say any more. What I, what I will say is I want to welcome Dawn Montgomery to the show today. And Dawn has led a very successful life. She has done a bunch of things and she is still doing a bunch of things. And through a good bit of that time, she managed through a mental illness known as bipolarism. It is bipolarism, isn't it? Bipolar disorder. That's what I said. That's what I said, (laughs) bipolar disorder. And if bipolarism works, run with it, but bipolar disorder. (laughs) And, you know, honestly, I think that this illness is one that, of course, is in our community, but we joke about this one, right? Yeah. We joke about this one all the time, not understanding how significant this can be and what this can do to people. And so while we're going to have a good time today, and I expect there to be some laughs, there may be some tears. There may be some crying on, on, on all of our parts. We see if we can get Art to cry today. <laughs> but I say that because perhaps this is triggering to someone. If it's not and you can stand to listen and you can find the blessings and the stories shared today, I want you to take away and share with other people because this is real. The numbers say one in three people are managing a significant, a serious mental illness on a daily basis. That means you came in contact with someone today who is managing through something you just don't know. The way you treat people has implications, has consequences, because you don't know what they're managing through in those moments. We joke about how people show up in the moment, in the, in the space, but we do not know what they go through, just like they don't know what you go through. So have a little grace, give people a little space, and try to love them a little bit better as we build through life together. With that, I'm going to shut up. I'm going to pass the mic over to Dawn, 
And I want her to tell you just a little bit more about herself. <laughs> Dawn, welcome to Wild Black. Thank you. Um, that that was amazing. I think that's probably one of the best intros I've ever heard. Freestyle, baby. Freestyle. <laughs> <laughs> Off the dome. So um, thank you, first and foremost, for having me here. Um, what you ended up saying towards the end of the intro is so true. Um, a huge part of my presence on social media is really kind of putting a face to this disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, one other person that some people can kind of put place a face to this disorder would be a good friend of mine, Shamika Holesclaw, mm. um, who is well known, of course. You know, she was deemed the female Michael Jordan, all of these things. Um, but she's one of my closest friends and she's had to live her life very publicly, of course, because she's, you know, known. Um, she's done a lot in WBA and, um, I just, you know, in general for me, um, having someone that I can relate to on a daily basis, um, like that, and then just kind of living my life from when I was diagnosed at 15, um, I've always just been very vocal. So, you know, the way you ended the intro of saying, you never know what somebody's going through. You've come in contact with somebody, something you said could trigger them and you don't even really know it. And they've got to go home and process that. That person nine times out of 10 is somebody like me. Mm -hmm. So, um, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Yeah, for sure. I mean that I've spent all of my 46 years of life on this planet. Well, probably 44 of them (laughs) trying to be better. Right. Mm -hmm. And I have run into many individuals who manage through mental illness and, and mental health challenges and, I, and I've seen people come home from work and have to sit in the car and cry for 30 minutes before they walk in the house. Mm-hmm. I've seen people have to take a break during lunch or at 10 o'clock in the morning and go in the bathroom and just take a few moments to breathe because their day is spinning. Yeah, I've never dealt with it myself, mm-hmm. but the closest thing I have dealt with is severe anxiety mm-hmm. two years ago. I say crippling because I was so unused to what it felt like. The point that I I couldn't stop my brain from spinning. I couldn't Mm -hmm. sleep. And when I did sleep, anything could wake me up and I couldn't go back to sleep. And and I think that that's fractional to what a lot of people manage through. So I'm I'm hypersensitive because I've seen it. I felt what I felt. Mm -hmm. And I know that people feel what they feel. Yeah. And it's something that we have to manage through. And we can't do it if we're not talking about it. If Mm -hmm. we're not normalizing what's happening in this space. Mm -hmm. So and, and in a lot of conversations that you have with just people you know every day, you know, um, it's not until it's someone famous or someone who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff. Ba da ba ba ba. Like more recently, you know, like uh, Master P's daughter passed yeah. away. She committed suicide. And everybody's saying, you know, check in on your strong friends, check in on your people. He put out a message like, you know, you can only do so much, but still look after your people, look after them, uh, uh, like to, to that, to kind of paraphrase. But um, I just feel like a lot of people dismiss the people that they see every day, that they talk to every day, that they know. Um, just kind of, it's like, oh, you'll be fine. You yep. know, I know you, you know, you'll be all right. So, you know, I could just you you know, crack a joke, back. you know, we ain't like, don't come meet me at the club or something like that. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Right. And you just <laughs> or, need a drink. Come or, on. Yeah, let's just or get a drink. you'll get that one where it's like, just pray about it. And then that mm-hmm. one, that's triggering. Of, like, off rip. Like, really? You just want me to pray about it. But yeah, I just don't wait for those moments when it's someone 
you know, of some significance and that people just deem more important on this earth when it's people that's like you as well as just someone next to you that needs to understand that you're going to actually be there for them. And a lot of times holding space for some people is just sitting there and listening. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Act now, love now, Mm -hmm. regret later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Before we get into this episode then, and you already know where we're going, we got to get into this wild black shit. Are you ready? I'm particularly interested in a couple of these because this one was, I, this one is built for me. Okay. <laughs> like, I, I, no bullshit. This one is built for me. All right, brothers, all you, man. So you you know a little bit about Wild Black. So you know what we do with this Wild Black yes. shit. Mm-hmm. Three questions. Right. Two, mm-hmm. get you warmed up. Uh-huh. Third one. Always finish your question, right? Right, yeah. You ready for this first one? Let's just go ahead. Okay. First, tell really, me this. Everybody, people now really get nervous during this Oh, part. yeah, yeah. It's like it's the build-up. Like, wait a minute, what they going to say? Mm-hmm. Do you like R&B? You like music? Mm-hmm. Okay. Your music game strong? Pretty much, yeah. Your lyric game strong? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Right. okay. I'm not jumping in this as, as an expert, so let's do that. Because okay. if okay. I mess up, I know I'm going to hear about it. Okay. <laughs> go let's, ahead. Let's go. Okay, this is what we're going to do. Okay. Let me give you three lyrics. Oh, God. Here we go. You got to finish the lyric oh, after I give you the first part of the lyric. I'm okay. pull my card. You got, you got it. I'm sure. You was real sure confident 32 seconds ago. <laughs> I said pretty, pretty much. Fact, you know what pretty I'm gonna much. Do? I'm going to give you like the whole harmony of it so you can just finish it. Now, you got to finish it in harmony, though. Mm. All right. You ready? And y'all know I can't sing. Huh? You, 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 Go ahead. This is going to be easy. Mm-hmm. You got I it. like the way you work it. No diggity. You gotta bag it up, gag right. it up. Yeah, uh, I gotta keep going. Oh, okay. No, no, you're good. You're good. Yeah, we, we yeah. now know. Yeah. Oh my god. We now know you know <laughs> what a lot of people don't know. Now here comes okay. the cliffhanger. <laughs> Second lyric. Mm-hmm. She ain't nothing but a hoochie mama. Hooray, hooray, hoochie mama. Got it right. Yeah. I almost yeah. thought it was humpback. Humpback. It's never humpback. Humpback. <laughs> It's I know that now. Hood rat. That's that was perfect. It was real. That, it was real clear. <laughs> hood rat, hood rat, hoochie right. mama. Yeah. I, I was like, where did y'all get humpback? It had to be a DJ like a in somebody's club somebody. on somebody's video that. that said humpback, humpback or something. Because no, that's hood rat, hood rat. Because, and another thing Maybe for me, there's clubs. a visual, <laughs> there's, a de- there's a definite visual for that. And that's old, that's Craig's girlfriend. Yeah, correct. She's a hood correct. rat. So why would she be a humpback, humpback? Right, like I can see if you was on the ocean or something and the whale jumped out. <laughs> I, you know what I'm saying? It was last week that I realized it was not humpback, humpback, huh, Yeah. And I know I'm not alone. Appreciate you, wild black listeners. Let me know. I know y'all, I know y'all thought the same shit. I know you did. Oh, Jesus. Hmm. All right, third one. This last okay. one's so easy. I almost didn't, almost didn't put it in there. Yeah, this one is, is classic. <laughs> I ain't even going to... I'm just going to say it. I ain't even going to read it. I ain't even going to harmonize it. Okay. Y'all going to make me lose my mind. Up in here. Up in here. I think everybody black know that. Mm-hmm, got to. Like, if they, if they, single, they don't, they frown. I don't care. Yeah. That's a thing that it doesn't matter what situation you're in. You can, if, if I could be guaranteed, like, say that... In that moment, you're going to see DMX and Correct. you're going to hear that beat. Dun, 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 dun. And it literally is like, you're going to make, like, literally, you're just going to be in that mode, but that's internal. <laughs> you may not yep. act out, but you'll feel it for sure. Yeah. Yep. Before yeah. he goes to the next question, we got one more. Okay. Making my way. Downtown. You out here. Shut the mic down while he's she an imposter, brother. Ain't nobody supposed to know that. Making my way downtown. She's an imposter, sir. 
It's a Glock song. Yes, it yeah. is. His right. name is Skinbone, I think. <laughs> Shout out to him because me and my kids love you. So just so it's you know. It's not a good thing to be listening to that, but we you love are him because he has a black. SpongeBob song, too. You're super black that you know his name. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, official. I didn't know his brother had a name. And she knew it was about a Glock. Because yes. I was like, wait a minute, I know that song. Little Glock, a... you about to get shot. <laughs> like, yep. it's like... <laughs> Right, because I heard it was like, man, that is the complete opposite of what she talked about. That's a hood anthem. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you right. winning. You winning right yeah, now. Yeah, you, you killing all that. Like, she, she did say her lyric game was strong, though, so it, it don't Pretty surprise much. me. How your much. spelling game? Spelling? Okay, see, we're not going to do this. Uh, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do go. it. All right, we're doing an adult spelling bee today. <laughs> This first word I have a personal relationship with because I lost the fourth grade spelling bee first round behind this goddamn word. Sounds Sorry, like bro. I'm gonna lose. This is masterful with this this one right here. This okay. this is this is a good one. First word. Mm-hmm. Banana. I went home. This, first this is some elementary. Round, this grade. is elementary shit that don't nobody know. Okay, all right. Ooh, I peel my I banana still, like this. I still <laughs> fuck this one. I still wait, fuck all these words. And the fact is, is that I got a pause. I'm like, is it two is or what? What you talking about? Um, That's what got me. <laughs> so, B-A-N-A-N-N-A? You going home fourth grade. You, you <laughs> out first round. <laughs> yep. You we, spelled it like I spelled it. Like, put me out first. So round. it's one in people. It's one in. Oh. We all going back to fourth grade because I said the same thing. I put a, I put two ends on it too because it's it doesn't feel like and, it's supposed to be two ends. Y'all know it. I literally bought bananas today, so you you can tell I didn't pay attention to the signs. I just grabbed them. I think they changed the spelling after that day in fourth grade. That's what happened. <laughs> yeah, it's some bullshit. Banana is a bullshit. But word. I think for us in our community, because we call our grandmothers Nana, mm-hmm. like. <laughs> And it's, I like that thing. It's for cultural. us, it's two ends, not necessarily one end. Like for white people, it's more country white people is one end, Nana. But for us, so, it's Nana. Yep. You know, like racist. it's just. Did you, did you see? She, yeah, she uh-huh. flipped that around. I had that. Bananas are racist. Now she, <laughs> we have all officially deemed this two ends and banana just based on that <laughs> response right now. <laughs> N-A-N-N-A. My kids are going to get me for not knowing how to spell banana. All right. Oh, this is cute. Second word. Everybody fuck this word up, too. I have this, to say it a special way in my head to get correct. it right. I, I'm, I'm going to say the way I spell it. Wednesday. That's what I say. What? That's yeah. It's about Wednesday? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have to say that Y'all. to spell, spell this shit like Me too, because I'm like, because it, it, it don't sound like the way you spell it. Okay, so can you use that in a sentence? Hey, <laughs> my favorite day is Wednesday. Okay, thank you. That would be I'm W-E-D-N-E-S-D-A-Y. The, com- the confidence came back strong. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Is that a fourth grade word too? No, no, no. That's, that, that might I, be I think kindergarten. That's college, man. No. It's got to be college. No. I'm still struggling that's with it right now. early elementary. <laughs> this might be PhD level. first grade. You got to know your days of the Wednesday week. Wednesday refrigerator, yeah. PhD. Yeah, days of the week. Days of the week. <laughs> days of the week. <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. Hmm. Oh, shit, yeah. Okay. Right. If it wasn't for spell check. I would get this one wrong every time. Never would get it right. Definitely. Really? 
while she's stalling for time. Because I don't even write, I write D-E-F in professional corporate settings because I don't want to spell this word. Period. Def. <laughs> Definitely. D-E-F-I-N-T-E-L-Y. Definitely. Oh, I forgot the knit part. <laughs> Y'all, listen, let me tell y'all something. Look, why she spelling it? I have a, to look, look at the word to see if she's spelling the motherfucker right. And as a journalist, do not read my writing. Thanks. Okay, boom. I look for, like, <laughs> words like this when I... Because I don't even try to correct them. I forgot that. I just I look just for the little squiggly of it. Yes. And right click. Correct. That's it. D-E-F-I-N-I-T-E-L-Y. Mm. Oh, yeah. This is why they should let the baby... No, they can't see it because if they see it, then they know how to spell it. But, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Go ahead. Move this is the last word. Okay. Why are you pulling hair you don't have? Because <laughs> he's like... Because this one easy. This okay. one is... It. Okay. You're going gonna to crush this. This one is tied oh. to you. Okay. Mississippi. It's M-I, crickle letter, crickle letter, I, crickle letter, crickle letter, I, humpback, humpback, I. Them humpbacks back, you said right. that, right? Yeah, I, I, see, right. I see you. <laughs> they <back>. You know <laughs> that's around. They but back. it's like, that's, 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 a, that's an elementary <laughs> word, too, because it's like, when you learn this, when you learn the days of the week, you learn the states... Um, what makes up America, that's the first, that's one of the first words you learn because of how hard Mississippi can be for some people to spell. So, Mm -hmm. yes, it is M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. Thank you. The confidence was on 10. Boom. In the 100. In the... Mississippi Pride. What's that P-Valley song? I'm not P-Valley. Which is back, by the way. I need to watch that. Shouts out to the new strippers on P-Valley. Right. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see it. All right. Third question. Final question. Gotcha. Signature mm-hmm. question. Okay. What do you love most about life while black? Mm. It, my existence. Mm. Um, I think for a lot of times we think about how our ancestors made it through what they had to overcome. But in our own right, we're going to be our children's ancestors, their their children's ancestors. We're going to, it's our just general existence and being um, in life. So for me, just existing as a black woman, whether it's a black woman in sports, whether it's a black woman in the um, media industry, whether it's a, you know, a former black woman that did music videos and things of that nature, just existing and having um, taken up space. That's, that's it for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's, ain't enough to be said. Existence. <laughs> Existence. Existing. Because mm-hmm. mm. a lot of times we're not allowed to just exist. Yeah. Just be. Right. Yeah. You ain't had that we're punished when okay. we just exist at times. Mm. Well, well, you, you came through the <laughs> wild black shit unscathed. Yeah. <laughs> Except for banana. Banana but took we, me we, out. But we, we, we redefined we, we, that. And she did banana a great job. took me out. The narrative yeah, is rewritten on banana. Banana's a racist word. every day. Like, come on, bro. Right. <laughs> um, we're going to jump into the dope quote. It's from religion or politics, history, science. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. Impact mm-hmm. on black folks. And today is hyper relevant to our, our theme. And I want to read it to you and then get your thoughts about it. Okay. It's by Dr. Rita Walker, and it says, Be careful how you hide yourself from people who care. Your hiding could set up a life-or-death situation whereby you are in need and there is no one left to help. When you hear that quote, (laughs) what comes to mind? Oh, the way people live two lives, two different Mm -hmm. lives. Um, The facades that people create. I'm fine. Um, fine. Or just saying, I'm okay. 
What does okay mm-hmm. mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I know I say that a lot, but I generally am intentional on if I say I'm okay, I explain what my okay is in that moment. Mm-hmm. I know as a single parent, for me, one of the conversations that I see um, happening very rampant and consistently on social media through any platform is just like this general attack on single black mothers. Yeah. And how, you know, it's your fault why the fathers aren't at home and blah, 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 you know, like that type of deal. But it's, Mm. it's also one of those things where as a single black mother, a lot of the things that we tend to hide from our children, that our children don't see us go through or that they don't see us do around the house or that they don't see us, you know, actively pursuing our dreams or doing, you know, enjoying life and even hell just existing in certain ways that it, it is, it could be detrimental to our children as they are growing older that because they didn't see their mother do those things, um, you know, maybe they see their father have moved on or whatever and he's living his best life. But why is my mom over here miserable? You get what I'm saying? Like, those are the things that, I, that immediately kind of just comes up as I hear that quote, yeah. because a lot of times just for black women, um, we're not allowed to put down that strong cape. Yeah. So to be deemed weak or have a moment of like just feeling emotions, I mean, you know, being weak and feeling weak is an emotion. Yeah. Like that's the thing. It's okay to feel all the all of the things. But another thing is, it's also to show your children and your family and your friends that you have um, healthy coping mechanisms that could possibly help them. So, um, you know, sometimes I'll tell my kids, like, mommy needs to cry. I can't do it right now. And, you know, my kids will just sit right up under me until I finish crying. And I don't feel bad about it because I get to show them, like, it's okay for me to be in the moment, feel it, and then to kind of move through it and move on. I haven't forgotten why I felt that way. Right. Or I haven't acted like, you know, oh, it'll be fine. I'm just going to pass it over. No, it just really shows me dealing, being human and dealing yeah. with my own emotions at that moment. You so it is important it. because if no one knows that you need the help and something happens to you and, you know, all of these things start coming up or you left a note and all of these things that nobody ever knew, like you don't understand how hard that is for people that have been left behind to kind of deal with that. Yeah, I love that perspective. It makes me think, right, children or or friends or acquaintances or just people in relationships in your life, there there will come a time in their lives where they need to apply lessons learned. Yeah. But if those lessons were never taught, what do they yeah. do? Yeah, yeah. They're left toolless. They're mm-hmm. left defenseless. Right. And then they fall. Mm, mm. Great quote. I love that. I love that. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. All right. We ready to get into this thing? I'm here. All right. <laughs> Present. With a banana. No, I'm just like, <laughs> That's I'm banana with live that two ears. <laughs> two two ears. Yeah. Hey, dictionary.com. Y'all holler at me. <laughs> All right. So. We started this episode talking about you managing with bipolar disorder, not bipolarism, people. Mm-hmm. Bipolar disorder since you were 14, you said? 15. 15, mm-hmm. since you were 15. Let's, let's start talking about that story a little bit. First mm-hmm. off, before we get into it good, what is bipolar disorder? It's a definition of this chemical imbalance that generally is 
takes you through a range of um, moods. Mm-hmm. And it's very, it's either very high where you're manic or it's very low where you're depressed right. or depressive. For me, I'm type two, and it ranges generally from either me having a whole lot of high moments where I'm manic a lot, right. and my depressive moments are very, very like, they're not something that I can kind of like just get through right. like easily. If I know that I'm depressed and I say that I'm depressed, it's going to take a it's gonna take a little while for me to kind of pull myself out of that. Right, right. Um, so just in general, kind of understanding that away from like, you know, schizophrenia and psychosis and um, borderline personality, all of these other aspects that are kind of along the spectrum of dealing with different moods and chemical imbalances as well. Because that's one of the biggest things that you mentioned earlier in the intro where, you know, people joke about bipolar disorder and saying like, oh, the weather is bipolar today. No, don't say that. Like, you know, because people say that a lot about the weather in Atlanta Mm -hmm. and it kind of like, it grinds my gears to kind of see that because it's like, you don't really understand who's on your timeline seeing you talk about something that they have to deal with every single day and you're comparing it to the weather. Now, Mm -hmm. I may say something like that, but I may specify why I'm comparing it and using that word as an adjective to kind of describe that. So, and that's just because I'm more mindful of my presence on social media and that people really kind of pay attention to me because of my advocacy. Right. So at, at 15, you were diagnosed with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're in this age of, of COVID and mm-hmm. you can be exposed to COVID. You can go to the grocery store unmasked. Right. And you can come home with COVID. Right. But that's not how bipolar or any no. mental illness works, right? No. So how does it happen? How does one begin to suffer from and find themselves diagnosed mm-hmm. with a mental illness? For me, from from what I found and from working with other people and being in peer groups and uh, a lot lots of therapy and counseling over the course of some years since I was fifteen, um, one of the biggest things that will happen for someone is there will be an event in their life that will trigger um, either these mood swings or these moments where they just they are literally like so far removed from themselves. There, it's like okay, wait wait a minute, what was that? Right. right? You know, it could be the death of a loved one. It could be you know your first love and, you, and it breaks, you break up with this person and you don't know how to deal with, you know, um, losing somebody in that moment. Um, it could be, you know, not being accepted into a college that your top choice and you got accepted to your third choice and not understanding like you got to pivot and make some changes for your plans. Um, it could be various things. It could be literally just being in a car accident and, you know, suffering from the trauma of that and realizing that that's tied back to something in your childhood. So for me, mm-hmm. if we are talking about how I got to where I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder at 15, we have to go back a little bit further to talk about how I use my voice to kind of specify and tell a teacher when I was in elementary school that I was being sexually abused by my father. Right. And in mm. that moment kind of being upfront and open about what was happening. I shared it with the classmate. The classmate was uncomfortable because this is a classmate that has been to my house before. Didn't really know any of that. And, she, and you were sharing this while I it was, was happening to you. Yes. So mm. we were we were at recess or something and she brought up something about her dad. And I was like, yeah, me and my dad, we did this. You know, not thinking <laughs> that at the time, oh, wow, I just said it, like, out loud. Mm. And I was comfortable with saying it. And it was like, okay, I can do that again. 
So after me talking to my friend and her kind of being, you know, I don't want to talk about that. I don't think we should talk about that. I went immediately to my teacher and I was like, hey, I think I need to talk to you about something. Now, mind you, I'm probably right around the age of eight or nine. Oh, wow. So you so, proved to yourself that you could say it. And then yeah, you, you and gone. then it was like, oh, okay, let me go talk to somebody. Because clearly her reaction to what I had to say alerted me to know, okay, maybe that ain't right. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, how did she react? Right. So, well, her immediate reaction was the face. Shock. Like, mouth open. Huh? So what did you just say? And I repeated it again. And she was like, mm, I don't think we should talk about that. Now, mm. That's not right. So not knowing, you know, any anything more than what I know at that time. Right. Um, I'm like, oh, well, I said that. I can say it again. Let me go talk to an adult because you are taught, you know, if you're uncomfortable about some, some things or some things are going on, especially at school, because school is that space where you definitely know you have an adult that you can go to, whether right. it's the teacher, the guidance counselor, it could be security on campus. It could be the cafeteria lady. It could be the principal, you know, assistant principal. You know that there's somebody that you can, there's a point of, of, of contact where you can go. And literally my next point of contact was my teacher. She immediately took me to the guidance counselor. As I told her, I was like, well, my friend kind of, because my initial reaction to it was my friend didn't want to hear me talk about what me and my dad do. And I'm trying to figure out why she didn't want to hear it. And when I tell her, mm. she's like, okay, we have to go to the guidance counselor right now. And we mm. need to contact your mom. And so I, what I remember from that moment, and it goes really, really fast for me, is her taking me to uh, the guidance counselor. All of these people are white. Let's be mindful of this. Mm-hmm. Getting to the guidance counselor, the first thing the guidance counselor does is call like someone from the hospital to come over. And then I think the principal was called in and then then they called my mom. So my mom was not the first person that they called. So I'm seeing a lot of white people in this room where I'm expressing something and no one in that room took the time to kind of help me understand that what I was telling them was not right, right? right. Like, it's it's not something that I should be willingly, like, like, I'm glad I found my voice in that moment, and I'm glad that that helped me advocate beyond my life, just in general, like, that's helped me be upfront about a, a lot of things. But no one comforted me in that moment for me to understand that the consequences that was about to happen after that yeah. would not be my fault, right? Mm. And so my mom immediately leaves her job, comes to the school, and her reaction broke me because it was of shock. Um, it was, you know, you can see she's embarrassed. She, you can see like she's, she doesn't know what to say. She doesn't know what to do and she doesn't know how to deal with it. So immediately now there's police at the school. So the next, you know, order of things is more so like, okay, now the police has to go and go get him. I have to go to get exams. The exam proves that, yes, I was sexually abused. And then it goes, it speeds up. Next thing you know that I remember, I don't remember the time frame of like dealing with, you know, being at home now without a father and dealing with this and, you know, trying to see or identify what my mother was processing um, from this entire experience. But the next time um, I see my father is in court. It's the first day he's talking. Um, Any idea how much time has passed? Between- uh, it's roughly probably maybe a couple of months. It ain't even really a full year. Because yeah. you got to think about back in those days, you know, we were in, we were technically, I want to say we were in Mansfield, Ohio at that time. And my dad grew up in Mansfield, Ohio. Um, 
Columbus, that's near, it's not far from Columbus, Ohio, where the Ohio State University is. And one of the things was, is that it moved, that's why I say it moved so fast in my eyes, because by the time I saw him, he was behind bars, and then he was in court the very next time that I fully saw him. And he pled, um, I don't know if, I don't remember what he pled. I don't know if he said not guilty or guilty. But what I do know is I had to testify. Mm -hmm. And I said everything all over again. And then there was questions that was asked to me, you know, what areas was touched, like things of that nature. And I was able to verbalize what those parts were. And this comes, I'm sharing that part of it because it's very important that um, children are taught their body parts. And the reason being is because if they are in a situation where someone is doing something to them, they're not giving it a nickname. They're not playing around or giggling about it. You know, it's more so like, no, this is my vagina. Somebody touched my vagina. They inserted this or did X, Y, and Z. Now, I know we're going a little heavy, but I'm just being 100. Like, in our community, we don't have those conversations. So, therefore, when uncle such and such touched my cookie, you thinking about the cookie that he might have handed to you and took back. You know what I'm saying? Not you know, the child's private part. So I think that kind of not only sped up the proceedings just because I was able to vocalize and say specifically, you know, what situations had happened, when they happened, where did they happen in the house, you know, all of these things. And so I want to say they had already sentenced him. They found him guilty, of course. And the next time me and my brother and my sister saw him, was when my mother had packed up our car and we were moving from Mansfield, Ohio to uh, Jackson, Mississippi at the time. And um, she took us to go see him one more time. And the attorney was like, well, I don't think that Dawn should, well, my my middle name's Alicia, so they went by. I don't think that Alicia should see him. And one of the things my mom said, well, if my child was able to vocalize what happened to her, I think it would be a disservice to her to not have that one last time to talk to her father, especially when her father wants to apologize to her. And so... I listened to that and I was like, that was probably one of the first times I really heard my mom really fully advocate for me. Now, I'm not saying that she just turned a blind eye to some abuse that was happening because clearly she didn't know. But what I'm saying is, is when she realized what was happening to me, it was like, okay, I'm her last line of defense and I have to really be there for her and I have to allow her this opportunity to have with her father because she could go on for the rest of her life blaming herself for something that this man vividly wants to tell her, I'm sorry, right? So I'm going there. she's probably processing a lot. Listen, she's processing a lot. She's getting ready to take three babies, you know, across state lines. She's going back home to Mississippi. She had, my father was her college uh, sweetheart. He was a a student athlete at Southern Miss. Um, He was in the Marines. Um, Like, he had his own history. She had her own history. So it was like her whole world crushed at that moment. And as an adult, it, it it probably took me after having my first son really realizing where she was mentally, right? Because I will be honest, a lot of years after that, I blamed her for a lot of things for me. And it probably wasn't until like when I got older where I was like, you know what? I'm sorry that I did blame you for that because you had nothing to do with that. You know, you were processing too. But one of the things that my father said in closing is that when I sat down, the first thing he asked me, was I okay? And I told him I didn't know. Don't really know how to, you know, say that I'm part of the reason why you're going to be in the 
in jail for the rest of your life, basically. He then, he took, he took, he took a moment and then he broke down and he started crying immediately. He said, I'm so sorry that I did that to you. I only did to you what was done to me. Mm. And in that moment at that age, I don't realize how huge that 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 apology and what was said was until I want to say it might have been 2014 right after my father had already passed his mother was now sick and I was making it my business to try to connect with that side of the family I go and go visit that side of the family and literally the daughter, uh, one of his, one of his siblings, stated to me and told me to my face, "I'm so proud of you. I've always been proud of you, and none of us ever judged you for using your voice. You don't realize how all of us as children had to go through that in our household. Mm. All of us were abused. All of us didn't know how to process that. And he was the only child that was able to get away because basketball helped him lead that mm. life. But wow. he, he never received therapy." He never received, nobody ever talked to him about that. So when, so so think about, right. So think about it. When you're going through life and some things happen, I'm not excusing it or whatever, because just don't touch your child. Like go do something else. (laughs) Don't touch your child. But that brings up things that triggers something. So dealing with that and then moving to Jackson, Mississippi, um, my mom's a single mother now. She's struggling with it because you got to realize from her first two kids, me and my older brother, she had a lot of help. And then even when my my sister was born, um, uh, my father really, really wasn't around because he was, you know, moving around from base to base or what have you for training and things of that nature. But in general, it was just, it was a very hard transition for her. And for me early on, my next brush with, you know, anything sexual was one day I was leaving from school and school happened to be a couple of blocks from where we were living in Jackson. And there was an older boy who was the brother of one of my good friends in school. And one day he just, he was like, um, uh, I'll walk you home and I'm gonna drop my sister off, right? You know, and normally if he was to walk us home, all of us would walk to my house and then he, they would go on about their business. Well, if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. As we are walking home, which is a few houses between each other, he just pulls me to the woods and it's one thing. So that was a whole situation of like me not being protected in that moment and not being able to tell somebody, you know, what really happened. And it took me Did to, something happen? Yeah, sexually, moment? yes. He raped me, basically. And so it took me a couple of months to process, okay, not only am I, did I just leave? Because literally this had to have been like maybe a year or two after oh, we had left. Here I am again. Um, here I am again in a situation where, damn, you know, I'm just trying to walk home from school. And this happened. And when I finally told um, my mom, the immediate response was flight. You know, like, let me get you somewhere else. Then I realized, oh, that was not supposed to happen. Mm. You know, because the thing is, is what I could process early on in the situation with my father, that's an adult. This young man, I'm right around 10. 
He's a good 16, 17 years old. Oh, damn. So I'm just looking like, and he's about the kind of like almost the same age as my brother at the time. So it's kind of like, mm, like, okay, what do I say about that, you know, at that time? So we moved down to, me and my brother um, moved down to Hattiesburg and um, end up staying with my grandmother in Petal. So your, your mom stayed in Jackson. She stayed in Jackson with my sister. And then we went down to Petal. And this is one of the first times I ever like looked at her like, how could you leave your kids? Oh my God, what is Can, can I ask one you? question? <laughs> mm-hmm, go ahead. What happened to the, the boy? The boy. Nothing. Mm. Nothing. Mm. Nothing. Um, yeah. Um, I will say this though. I did find out years later as... My as I was going into high school, that he was actually shot and killed mm. um, because of a similar situation, but it was more of a date rape situation, and the brother ended up killing him. So yeah, that's. But in that moment, like he wasn't arrested. It wasn't no, no whole big thing or whatever. It was just whatever. So we're in mm. pedal now. And this is one of the things that me and you talked about, hence why I kind of was like, we got to go back a little bit to mm-hmm. get to 15. One of the things that I learned early on in being in Petal, Mississippi, Petal, Mississippi at the time is was heavily white. There were pockets of black neighborhoods around um, Petal, Mississippi, but, you know, of course they outnumbered us. So coming into that mode, I think one of the first things I learned how to do was to really be that overachiever, right? Let me accomplish some things. Let me focus. Let me be dedicated. Let me play sports, all of these things. And so before my freshman year of high school, uh, there was a group of us, a group, a group of black students and friends who all were like, okay, you're going to run for this. You're going to run for that. You're going to run for this. Because we knew at this high school, there had never been like first black this, you know, what have you. So ended up being, I go into freshman year, um, everybody's running for whatever class positions or what have you. Um, and I end up, you know, becoming, um, you know, class secretary or president or something, one of the two. And the biggest thing about it was, is that during that time, I didn't realize that when you become the first, there's a lot of eyes on you, mm-hmm. not just from our community, but more so the people that don't want you to be a first. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that was probably roughly like 1999, like 98, 99 or what have you. And like coming on the cusp of like the, of the 2000s. And I say that just because I learned at that age of like 13, 14, right? That if white people didn't want you to do nothing, they will scare you to death or they will try to harm you. Somebody's going to do something, but I don't know what it's going to be. And for me to be kind of hypervigilant at that time, to know that something's going to happen, it, it didn't happen until um, homecoming, where uh, the beginning of homecoming, because everybody that was elected to something got a, an opportunity to participate in homecoming. And, you know, you have to have a car. You got to get dressed up. You know, you get to parade around the city. You get to be proud, right? So you're thinking that this is going to be a great moment. And the week... I want to say the week before homecoming week festivities, there was a burning cross in my grandmother's yard. Now, my grandmother was also a pastor of a local church. And um, she left it sitting there burning. And, you know, it was one of the first times that I was like, well, why wouldn't wouldn't you put it out? Now, mind you, I don't been in Mississippi long enough to kind of notice, kind of know the history because I don't know if you remember the Mississippi history classes and things like that. And you'd be like, 
are we really learning this? Because there's some other parts y'all miss. Like, I used to get in trouble because I'd be like, that ain't how that happened, you know, <laughs> yeah. early on. And then here we are dealing with CRT. So, um, but in general, like seeing that and dealing with that and then realizing that that cross was burned by the young lady who was up against me for that position, her father, me wow. and her were cool. She had mm. no issues with me. But it was her father her who father was upset. Saw you were sitting in the seat. Exactly. But that particular year was the year where it was like, okay, pause. Mm-hmm. All of this has been happening to you since you were about eight or eight or nine. You're about fifteen now, and now you're at a school, or you're dealing with kids who you know look like you, who hate you because you're 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 academically you know better, like in so many ways better than them. Like you're 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 applying yourself, like you're jumping up to be in certain groups that most of us wouldn't even really be in. Because I'm like, okay, well, why? How come that club only has a whole lot of white people? Why don't we have somebody sit in there? So we can see what type of things they're learning in there. And then when I realized that a lot of these extracurricular activities, you could get scholarships from. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go and go do that. Well, in, in dealing with those moments and trying to just figure out who I was beyond the things that I had gone through, um, I dealt with a lot, a lot of bullying. So mm. one day I got frustrated and I was like, okay, I'm going to take every pill that I see in the medicine cabinet. Now, my stepfather at the time, um, he was dealing with congestive heart failure, some other health issues and things like that. So he took a lot of medication. And I took everything that was in there, (laughs) plus a ton of sleeping pills. Um, Basically, the doctors were like, you should have been in a coma for at least six months based on the things you took. But of course, they pumped my stomach and all of that. And then what they realized was um, when they did a psych evaluation, because if you try to commit suicide, of course, they want to know what led you to that, if they can if they can bring you back from that situation. Right. But r- real quick question before you dig in more. At that moment when mm-hmm. you had transferred, you were in a, in a new school, right? Mm-hmm. And all these new things were happening to you, mm-hmm. combined with everything you had been going through when you were eight. Mm-hmm. What was happening in your head that said, take these pills? And were you trying to commit suicide? Were you cognizant that that is what this could lead to? So to answer your last question, no. I don't think that I knew that it was suicide. I think it was my biggest cry for help. Mm, Mentally, I did not know. I had spoken up before. We moved every time I spoke up. Um, Mm. I was up front with counselors. You know, there was no medication at that time to give me. So think about how long ago this was where, you know, Zoloft is not a thing. These things are not a thing. So whatever. Um, and then think about this too. And when this is one one narrative that I just, I'm so mindful of. When black women and black girls say that they've gone through something, people will put them through the ringer to try to get them to explain. Okay, are you sure that that's what that is? Yeah. Or are you sure that that's what happened? Maybe that's in your mind. You. Right, so because you. I'm being told so many times, okay, well, maybe that's not what you thought happened. Maybe because of something else that happened, that's all you know. Right. And I'm like, okay, by the time I move to this new school, and I'm thinking, okay, fresh start, because literally I'm excited to move, Mm-hmm. But then I realized, like, nobody's excited to meet me. Nobody's excited to understand me or my background or whatever. And 
at that time, I'm more so like, okay, I get a new lease on life, in my opinion. So I'm just going to start over. This is what I'm going to do. These are going to be my plans. I got two years. I I know I want to graduate. I know I want to go to college. So let me get to the finish line without getting pregnant, being dead or anything like that. Like thinking of those things. And then mentally, it it clicks where it's, it's like a pause. And in my mind, I'm like, what if I do this thing instead of saying what's wrong with me and see what it does to my body? Because I had taken sleeping pills before. I knew it could numb me. I knew it could put me to sleep. I knew it would make me feel fine. And I just go on about my business. So, but let me try everything else. Like, how would that work? And then waking up in the hospital, seeing people over me, you know, looking at my mom's face again, it's, it's almost literally that same face that I saw when she found out about um, the abuse and all of that with my father. And it was, okay, let me breathe. This is how now I need to process this. This is how now I need to speak up for myself. Because another thing, in the ways that we cope for different things that we go through in life, we have to adapt and change that at every, at every chance that we had. Because what might have worked for me when I was eight was not going to work for me when I was 15. Right. Um, what might have worked for me um, after the situation of seeing the burning cross and all of that was not about to work for me while I was at this school and trying to figure out where I belonged. So at that time, that was that was a big cry for help. And because the doctors did the assessment, put me in touch with the psychiatrist, the first thing the psychiatrist did, which was a white man, he said, oh, well, we're going to put her on Zoloft and we're going to give her a high dosage because Clearly, she's been going through all of these traumatic experiences, and we want to be able to try to help her manage that. So at that time, it just made me feel really numb. So my sophomore year, I literally was a zombie. I was a zombie. I played sports. I couldn't tell you what we did. I couldn't tell you, you know, if I won any, you know, speech debates and things like that. I could tell you where I was because I have your books that specify, you know, I was in this club, that club, and that, and that, and the third. And I have like awards and ribbons and stuff. But that year, I was not present. And so, after going through some counseling um, and realizing that I'm not just depressed because the Zoloft was given to me for depression. Yeah. I'm not just depressed. Mm-hmm. I now see a, a psychologist who is in Hattiesburg um, because Hattiesburg is kind of known to have um, great mental health services mm-hmm. around the city. And at that time, the lady was like, I don't know why they put you on this much Zoloft when they could have kept evaluating you to see that you have bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. So real quick, when mm-hmm. you were in the hospital after taking all the medicine, mm-hmm. The, the output of that was a, a depression diagnosis mm-hmm. and a Zoloft prescription, heavy yes. Zoloft prescription. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. And, and mm-hmm. listeners, real quick, I just want to address you real quick and let you know that today's episode, we, we're, we're talking much more about the experience. You're very used to us talking around the experience and really focusing on the lesson. But today, the lesson is the experience because what I want you to walk away with is an understanding of the thought process that's associated with an illness like this. Mm-hmm. What I want you to walk away with is a picture of what it feels like, what it looks like, what it smells like, what it sounds like, so that maybe you can recognize it in yourself and you can speak up, or perhaps you can recognize it in someone else. So right. today's interview is a little bit different. Hold on, ride with us. Sorry about that. <laughs> and it's a long ride. <laughs> but thank good. you. I do appreciate y'all for holding space for that, though. But, um, but yeah, so getting to that point, it was by the time of my junior year, I'm now, you know, 
I'm dealing with going to therapy consistently. I'm dealing with, um, you know, my grandmother being around to say um, one of the most important things I've ever heard a Black woman say, especially in church, where it's like, y'all, we're not going to just pray for her. We're not going to put it on the altar. We're not going to leave it there. We're going to find her some help because Mm -hmm. God created doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists, and all of these things Mm -hmm. in order to get her the help that she needs. And I think that is where it was like, boom, okay, I'm taking ownership of this and it's okay for me to know that there is something wrong with me at this moment and that I'm going to learn how to manage and cope with this. And it is a lifelong thing. It doesn't go away. There's no cure for it. So what is my life going to look like from here on out? So I had literally my junior year wasn't really better (laughs) because the bullying got worse because there were moments where I was hospitalized for weeks um, for crippling, you know, depression or what have you or anxiety and all of these other things that ended up coming out. Mm -hmm. So at that time, I think my body was tired. And what what does what does crippling depression mean? So and, and how more, did it manifest in you? So more crippling depression for me, especially with my disorder, and it still applies today. I know a lot of times the weather would do it for me. So like mm. if it was raining, my mood is already bad. Mm. Don't talk to me. Don't bother me. Let me sleep in and let me figure out how to get through today. Right. So that would be one way. I remember Cri- a woman who was prescribed a sun machine. Yes, I like, I like, I like, I like therapy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have a lamp. I have that. So, um, but another way with crippling depression is more so really you just. Like physically, you cannot do anything. And for you to be 16, 17 years old, not able to get up to go to school and you're literally saying, no, like I can't. Like, I don't think you understand. My body is not allowing me to move. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, But the bag did feel a little light. There's this book called The Body Keeps Score. Mm -hmm. That's one of the most important books I probably read in my years of adulthood, where it's like, I wish somebody gave me that at 17. I'm sorry, it's, you know, but it's one of those where it's like, that would have helped me understand what my body was doing at that time. It was literally telling me to pause, process this, deal with this, and understand how you're going to be able to move forward. Mm -hmm. Um, Junior year wasn't really all that great. Like I said, got bullied, you know, dated a guy, some shit happened, you know. Can I ask one more question? Mm -hmm. And and listen, Dawn and I talked about this before, that we we were going to be going deep into these topics. Uh So I want to ask what may feel like a dumb question. Because I think that so many of us... Who- there are no dumb questions. Oh, no. In my opinion. <laughs> if you, in my opinion, if you just want to know, kidding, you want to know. And if you don't know, you want to know, right? So- amen, amen. True. Help, help us who, who don't deal with a depression that manifests damn near physically. Help mm-hmm. us understand when you say, I'm in such a depressive state mm-hmm. that I physically cannot get out of bed. Like when, when when I hear people say that, mm-hmm. without doubt, I believe them because mm-hmm. I've seen it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, I I can never say I understand because I don't. I empathize. Mm-hmm. If you can, like, what does that feel like? But for me, I can't think of anything short of losing my legs and my arms that would stop me from getting out of the bed. And right. how, what is it? Right. It's almost like being in a vegetable state. Mm-hmm. 
mm. where you know life is happening, you can see it, mm-hmm. but your body is not there, right? Mm. Or like you don't feel physically feel like you're participating in life. You feel numb some moments. Even if you do get up, it's more so to get up to go to the bathroom and get right back in into that bed or that safe space where you can be. I know that I can say this because I've had a concussion before because I play sports, of course, but it's almost like literally those first few moments of getting a concussion and not really knowing what's happening. Mm. But within a concussion, in my opinion, you can move your body. You can feel things. You know what I'm saying? No. Like mentally, you've tapped out. Mm. And... For some, for a lot of women, there's probably someone listening to this now that doesn't realize that that's exactly what that is when they can't get up and they're saying, baby, I can't get up right now or I can't do X, Y, and Z. That's exactly what you're feeling because you're in a, you're in a state where your body can really tell you how to feel. So that's my interpretation of it. Um, I'm pretty sure it could be something else for someone else. But my junior year, I kind of learned that early on. And I was just like, you know, asking questions and things of that nature. And I was a little bit more vocal. And people that I went to school with really couldn't identify with that. Um, And then you also have to realize this, you know, because of my background at this age, um, and this is something that I've shared with my children, um, I was sexually active. When I was ready to really have sex, even after all of the trauma that I had experienced with it, I went up to my grandmother, and I kid you not, y'all, I can't really remember. I I probably was about 14 or something like that, but I went up to my grandmother, and this is what I said. (laughs) I said, listen, y'all know it's a football game this weekend, and it's somebody I think I want to sleep with. And my my grandmother was (laughs) like, what? Wow. She was like, let me get my cigarette and let me let you think about what you just said to me. I said, well, I'm telling y'all because I know what it is. I understand what it is. And there's a clinic that we can go to and go get the books and the stuff and the things. I don't know what else I'm supposed to have. So for me to be vocal, like she was like, oh, she's for real. (laughs) And so for me, that's that allowed me at that age to really take more ownership over my body right. and really to say, okay, I know what this is. I know the difference. I know when some, when, some, when I'm giving consent. I know when I'm not giving consent. I know when it, feel, when it feels good and I know when that shit don't feel good, right? And I've gone through enough counseling at this point to where it was like, Okay, there's there's an experience that I would like to have and I want to take it back. Like I want it be I want it to be because I want to do it. Y'all, it never happened, but <laughs> it didn't happen at that moment. Let me yeah. just say that. But what I will say is is it it meant a lot again for my grandmother to be that person to be like, "Oh, she's serious. Everybody get in the car. We're going to the clinic." You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But at the time, you know, me not putting together that, you know, you learn early everyone's not your friend. You learn early that just because you know who you are and you can process the things that you've been through, that everybody's not going to accept the fact that you can be vocal about that. You learn that just because you are sure about who you are and you're unfazed by that, that people will tear you down at every cost. And so just because I slept with somebody in between the break and then this guy was trying to get back with me and I was like, no, I'm good. And then it, it gets out or whatever. The STD rumor got out. And then it was something that I had to really deal with because I was like, I literally said this and I'm going to put this out there and whoever wants to judge me can judge me. But I was like, I slept with so many people up until this point and you mean to tell me you want to blame me for an STD that I know I ain't got? Like, to the point to where I brought papers to school and was like, if anybody has any questions, I was at the, I was at the lunch table. 
And I was like, if anybody got any questions, it's sitting right there. You know what I'm saying? And this was just a week ago. Just because I was always um, really vigilant on right. making sure that I was protected at all yeah. costs, you know? And that was important because in the previous situations with all of that trauma and experience with abuse and sexual abuse and things of that nature, I was not protected. So my senior year, I started it. Uh, I had just came off of doing presidential classroom at the White House. Um, presidential classroom at the time was this big thing. It was a big organization where it would bring juniors like that were high achieving students to the Capitol to having a whole experience in the Capitol for one week. And my mentor worked in the Department of Education. So after I finished my week there, he was able to talk to my parents, well, my mom and my grandmother. He was able to talk to them about me coming back for just like an internship in the Department of Education. So I did two things during my summer going into my senior year. So by the time my senior year starts, I'm thinking I'm getting ready to like do some things, right? No, met with all of this resistance. Happily, though, I graduated. Um, I had a scholarship to Fort Valley State University. I was probably one of the first black students um, at my school to really have an outside university offer a scholarship. And when I say I graduated on that Saturday, I got the hell on on that Sunday. What's going on, family? I hope you enjoyed and learned a lot from listening to Dawn today. Part two of the episode is coming up next week. It gets even more detailed, more deep, and more amazing. Her story, well, you already know it. Her story is powerful. And whereas we want to say it doesn't happen often, it happens more than it should. And Dawn is an example of a person surviving. And I say ing, not survive, because Dawn is still surviving and managing through this today, as are so many of us managing through our own personal issues. Come back next week. We'll dive back into part two. More with Dawn. Peace. Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.